The rest of you who have slid in here, I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. When Scott gave his um, uh, financial update, I just want to encourage you from um, senior pastor is that a lot of times at Christmas we give each other gifts. Uh, That's not what we normally do for a birthday. We usually give the person whose birthday it is gifts. I would challenge you, if you haven't ever thought this through, is that you put Christ first in your giving this Christmas. I'm not saying it's wrong to give gifts. I'm just saying you might want to think about putting Christ first in your giving. Also, the class that's coming up for um, called Principles for Parents, uh, I'll be one of the teachers, Scott and Mary Beth, will also be helping with that class. It is for those that don't have little children, those that have children, those that want children, those that have teach children, those that want to understand little kids. It's there. It's a class that we believe will be an encouragement to you. Uh, it basically deals with those young people up to uh, basically from birth to grade school, through grade school. So... This morning, we're going to continue the series that I started a few weeks ago on the book of Genesis. I will warn you ahead of time, you're not going to have to switch any pages. We're only going one verse. Because that first verse is a really big one. Because it, I entitled it, What Beginning? Because it just starts out, you probably never memorized the verse, but you also know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You don't really have to go too hard to memorize it. Most of us know it, and I encourage you that there are a lot of things that are in that. The beginning chapters of this book of the Bible are of great import. As I mentioned once before, if you took each concept and followed it through, I'd spend the rest of my career preaching through Genesis. That is not my goal, even though doing one verse for one sermon may look that way, but we need to start out and provide a basis There are no other chapters in the Bible that are criticized, discounted, and debated more than the first 12 chapters. Let's start and go backwards. Chapter 12. If you don't believe exactly what chapter 12 says, you're going to have a problem with a whole lot of things happening in the Middle East today. Because God made a covenant with Abraham. If you have a problem and you're not sure what you should think about same-sex marriage and marriage itself and all that, uh, it's going to stem from uh, Genesis chapter 2 and following. There are a whole lot of other things that you will have to deal with if you don't understand the book of Genesis. But a few things right up front. I'd like to bring, first of all, the book starts out and it doesn't try to explain the existence of God. It simply does not do that. It assumes the existence of God. In the beginning, God. That's what it says. I didn't make it up. That's what God says. And it basically says there is God and then there's everything else. And that's exactly what it does. In fact, it makes it clear he's the one that created it. If he's the creator, he is the owner. If he is the owner, then all of creation is subject to the owner, to the creator. Just like if you build something, it's yours unless you give it away or sell it to someone else. It's yours. You can determine what you want to do with it. 
You can build the castle and you can smash it flat the next day if you choose to do so. The second thing is, if God created it and He is the owner, He has the right to control it. He has the right to make the laws, to make the rules, to say how it's supposed to operate. That's His privilege. When you buy something, the instructions come with it. I didn't write the instructions. I'm putting it in, but I didn't write the instructions. Bill Crick and I put a furnace in last week. We didn't write the instructions, but we sat there and scratched our heads for a while to figure out what the instructions said. Somebody else wrote them. And when we did it according to the instructions, it actually worked. You know, that's the way it is. Our lives work when we go according to the instructions. By the way, if he gives the rules and the laws, he has the right to execute justice and punishment if need be, as he sees fit. Number three... He has the right to decide who and what represents him. He has the right to say who can speak on his behalf, if anyone for that matter. And um, no one, no lesser person, no angel, no human, no other creature has the right to speak on God's behalf unless God has already given them the authority to do so. And the fourth thing, and you find this one in chapter 4 in particular, God has the right, this is really specific for Christians, God has the right to determine how he will be reverenced, how he will be worshipped. He has the right to determine that. If you don't believe that, look at the first two sons that were born, and you will find out that God accepted one of the sacrifices and rejected the other. He has the right to do that. Now, this first verse insinuates a few things. I don't know. You may have thought this through. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this will help you to think it through. I already mentioned that it assumes the presence and the existence of God. You say, well, what about science? Well, science cannot do that. You see, God is supernatural. That means above nature, above creation. When we talk about the beginning here, we're not talking about the beginning of God or the existence of God. We're talking about the beginning of creation. The first verse carries that out and the rest of the context uh, fleshes that out. But from nothing to something, science, the best it can do is say, you know what? Every experiment we do, every scientific uh, path that we follow says everything that exists came from something that pre-existed it. And so the best science can say is, we don't know where it came from, but we just know everything comes from something else. The Bible says there is a self-existing God, we'll go into that in detail, And that self-existing God spoke into existence everything else. Think this through. What are the alternatives? The only other two alternatives are these. And they're both kind of the same. One is that matter and energy are self-existing. Simply saying that matter and energy are God. They are the first cause. They are the self-existing kind of thing. Science, while it cannot prove something supernatural, says the things we see came from something else. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The other thing is that it just came from nothing. 
That's a possibility, uh, but it doesn't make any sense either because we can't observe that either. Can we observe a supernatural God creating? The answer is no. As Christians, we cannot. Scientists cannot. No one can. We cannot go back and recreate that original um, moment, that original act. We just simply cannot do that. But this whole thing says no inferior agent was able to do this. It didn't happen by chance. And we know science, uh, I'm sorry, nature did not exist eternally. It had to have a beginning. The only plausible explanation is that that it has a supernatural beginning. You say, hold it, this whole thing of faith, we live in a scientific world and we need to have science. Truth of the matter is, let's talk about faith just for a moment. What takes more faith? That there is a self-existing supernatural God who brought it into existence or that what flies in the face of everything we know otherwise, and uh, the opposite of what the Bible says, that it was self-existing of some sort, or it came from nothing. That takes a whole lot more faith. In fact is, as I already mentioned, it is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. One of the things about the first two chapters of the Bible is this. No one was there to observe it. Not only scientifically can we not recreate it, it's not possible. You can't go from nothing to something. Again, because that's already happened, you can't go back and repeat it and test it. But at the same time, no one was there even to observe it. Think about that. Adam wasn't created until the sixth day. So there was no one there to record it, to say, hey, this is what I saw, this is what was going on. So we have to have it by special revelation. I don't know if you know what special revelation is. Simply this. For example, in Psalm 19, uh, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God. And you can look at that and you can say, Oh, yeah, that that didn't happen by itself. There had to be something bigger, greater, higher before those kinds of things. Kind of natural revelation. But special revelation is something that is given to us by God that we couldn't get from nature. It's special revelation directly from God. Yes, it's miraculous because nobody was there. God had to do it directly. There were supernatural things taking place. And if you're wondering, well, hold on a second. Do we just have to do this with creation, Genesis chapter 1? The answer is no. Think this through for a second. How about resurrection? That's not a natural phenomenon. That's life from death. How about a miracle that Jesus or someone else um, produced? That's not a natural thing. You can't explain it by natural means. What about the virgin birth? We're at the Christmas season. There is no good explanation other than a supernatural explanation for those kinds of things. There are many more things in the Bible, but those will suffice for our purposes today. So, we're dealing with something that is supernatural. It's a miracle. The Bible opens with a miracle. In the beginning, a self-existing God 
brought into existence everything that we see. We're going to look at that in detail. By the way, one of the things is, and today it's very popular to say, well, I don't know if God exists or God doesn't exist. Um, You know, that requires more faith than all the rest of them. Because you have to have an alternative explanation, which none of them are sufficient to explain what we see. In fact is, when you go to Psalm 14, verse 1, or Psalm 53, verse 1, by the way, both Psalms are identical within one word of each other. It says there, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then it goes on, and you might recognize these quotes from Romans chapter 3. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. And it goes on, but that's my purpose this morning. A fool is not someone who is mentally deficient. That's not it at all. A fool is someone who can see the truth, see what's going on, observe what's happening, and go in the opposite direction. In other words, a fool is one who knows the truth but doesn't act in accord with it. A wise person, on the other hand, is one who sees the truth and acts in accord with it. That's the difference. And we look at this whole thing and we come from a very specific point of view, and that is that God is self-existing. We're going to look at that as we go through. Now, the beginnings. As we saw here, the beginning that is here is related to creation. That's what the exact context says. That's what the sentence says. In the beginning, God created. So the beginning it's talking about there is the beginning of the material universe uh, that we know around us. It doesn't explain the existence of God, but it simply says there was a time when these temporal things did not exist, but now specifically they do because of a supernatural, self-existing, eternal creator. The second beginning is found in the New Testament, and it's a very different beginning than this one. This, the one in John chapter 1 verse 1 has to do with a, the word used in a very different way. In fact, you don't need to know what I'm going to tell you next. But in the beginning was the word. This in Greek in the imperfect tense, which simply means it was a continuing action in the past. A self-existing, ongoing God. It doesn't have to do with origins. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 has to do with the origin of material universe. This one does not have to do with the beginning. It is, again, not arguing the existence of God, but simply stating that fact. Uh, God is a self-existing God. You say, is that the only place it's found? No, it is not. There are plenty of other places. Just give you one example. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, uh, you may have said this growing up as a, a doxology at the end of a service or something like that in King James Version, uh, where it says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Notice what it says. It says, to the king. That's one who is sovereign. He has a right to rule. One who is eternal. 
By the way, you might say, well, hold it a second. I've heard you say and I've heard others say that we have an immortal soul, that we live forever. Whether it's in heaven or hell uh, is not the question at the moment, but we live forever. That is true. But we have a beginning, whether it's creation or the moment you were conceived, you had a beginning without an end. God, on the other hand, is eternal in that he doesn't have a beginning, nor does he have an end. His eternity goes in both directions because, indeed, he is the self-existing one. We'll get to that in a moment. He is also immortal. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but God is non-perishable. You know, we, we have used by this date, you know, because it gets, it's perishable, it gets bad. God doesn't have a use by date. He is imperishable. He is not destroyed. He doesn't have, he does not have the corruptibility and the ability to be destroyed. He is also invisible. God is spirit. It tells us that very clearly in John chapter 4. He is not seen. He's invisible. Everything else that is created, that's visible, uh, came from the one who is invisible. And then it says the only God. And by the way, if you use a King James Version, it says the only wise God. I'm not sure where they got that from, but it's not in any Greek text anywhere that I could find. But the only God. There is one God and only one God. If there was a God before him, then we're worshiping the wrong one. We're we're somebody down the line somewhere. But he is the one and only true God. And notice what it says. To him is the honor. The value goes to him. The glory, the brilliance, the reputation goes to him. How long? Forever and ever. Amen. So So be it. That's true. It's the way it is. That's where we come from. Can we prove all of those things by science and by the things of this day? The answer is no, you cannot. The alternatives are less likely. I mentioned that we will get back to that self-existence. The classic passage is the one I'm going to use, and that is Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 14. You know Moses uh, the story of Moses and the burning bush. We always get tied up in the burning bush and how can a bush burn and not burn up? Well, that's not our subject this morning. But it's about the voice, God himself, coming from the midst of the bush, talking to Moses. This is what it says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. Means to be. I exist. I am the one. (laughs) There is no other like me. I am who I am. I simply exist. That's what he told them. You go, hold it a second. Boy, that's that's pretty, uh, pretty far out there. In the New Testament, you know that the religious leaders of the day were always hassling Jesus. And in John chapter 8, at the very beginning... uh, Jesus said, you know, I know about Abraham, and they go, hold this second. We knew who our fathers are. You're illegitimate. And in verse 58, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
What he is doing is drawing from the Old Testament. He's saying, I existed. Before Abraham, I existed. Now, that doesn't prove eternity in this case, but he goes back to that Old Testament concept is, I'm the one that existed. Before you're claiming everything, you said, hey, we have Abraham as our father. I'm before Abraham. And if you want to know how they looked at it, you need to look at the next verse after that, because verse 59 says, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Here's what it comes down to. They knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming to be the same one who spoke to Moses through the burning bush. I exist. I'm the self-existing one who has the who is the one who brought everything else into existence. The word that is used for God is Elohim. In the beginning, God. It's plural. It does not mean there's more than one God. But it does mean that the word Elohim simply means strong, mighty, and faithful one. And when you pluralize it, it emphasizes the majesty, the power, the strength of everything that God is. It just says, and more than you can even think of. That's what it does. But it also opens a hole big enough to drive a truck through for future revelation. Now, at this point, there are people that say, oh, this proves the Trinity. No, it does not prove the Trinity. But it does leave that open for future revelation that God will give. That, that doesn't happen immediately. But we do know that when we talk about God, the Trinity, we also know that the Bible's clear that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were involved in the creation. For example, in Isaiah chapter 40, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the God, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. The truth is, I believe this is talking about God the Father. Uh, It could be about the Son, and there's no doubt about that, but I believe it's referring mostly to God the Father. Jesus made it clear, I and the Father are one. So we have one God who is presented to us in three persons. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in that. In fact is, Jesus Christ is the one that's emphasized when it comes to creation. Many cults teach that Jesus Christ was a part of the creation, and they do not like the verses I'm going to quote next. I've been over them, over these verses with them. But if you look in John chapter 1, that's where we had looked at in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, it could have stopped was with uh, the beginning of verse 3. All things came into being through Him. That'd be enough. Everything there is came through Jesus Christ. But God, knowing the way we are, Went back and said, oh, let me tell you a different way. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You say, is that the only place? The answer is, whoops, no, it is not the only place. There are several other passages 
in the Word of God. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. So He is the one that is the focus for the future. Through whom He also made the world. So it goes back, not only, it goes from the future back to, oh, by the way, He is the one that made everything that you see around you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, probably a classic passage. Again, overemphasizing exactly what's going on. It says there, For by Him, and by the way, this is referring to Jesus Christ, all things were created. Now notice where it goes from there. Both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now that would kind of nail it down, I would think. But he doesn't stop there because the Apostle Paul is a lawyer. By the way, you know what? A, you know the definition of a lawyer? It's tongue-in-cheek. Somebody who holds his pants up with a belt and suspenders. The Apostle Paul was a lawyer. He's going to make sure you don't get it wrong. Because he goes on to say, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He himself will come at the end of verse 18 to have first place in everything. In other words, he is the one that is emphasized in this creation event. And of course, the Holy Spirit, verse 2, if you're in Genesis chapter 1, makes it clear that the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the, the waters. The Holy Spirit of God is also involved. Seems like not in the primary role, that's Jesus Christ, but in, in nonetheless involved. But now we come to the, I'm sorry, I got behind myself, come to something that was new to me. Now, if you would have said the word created, I would have had no problem. If you would have said, well, the Bible says God made, I would have had no problem. But as I was studying, I came up with a few other things. And you might have, F there, spoken into experience. You might have said, yeah, I understand that one. But these are words that are either synonymous or complementary to the creation process. They're all found in the scripture, most of them actually in the first chapter of the Bible. The word created, and I was taught originally the word bara, the word created in Hebrew, means out of nothing. That is not true. The very beginning it had to be because there was nothing other than God. So it had to come from nothing to something. So no doubt it can be used that way. So can the next word made be used that way. There's no doubt about it. But both of them are used of God in his creative process, making new things from something that already existed. And not in an evolutionary sense, but in a sense that God is creative. In fact, is the word bara, the, the word created, actually means to shape. So it's God taking something and shaping it the way he wants it. For example, today if we say somebody wrote a song or painted something or decorated something, we say, oh, they were very creative in their outfit that they're wearing or their decor of their house or, or whatever it happens to be. They're creative. They shaped it. They were the ones that created it. 
So there's no problem with that, but in some cases it does mean from non-existent existent materials, other places from pre-existing. The word is only used in the Bible with God as its subject. It is never used of human beings. Keep that in mind. The, the second word, and, and by the way, that is found over and over. It talks about God creating the heavens and the earth. It talks about him creating the, the sea monsters and the living things that move. It also says that God, uh, verse 27, God created man in his own image. Uh, and so it's used in a number of different ways. And we know when it says he created man in his own image, we know that he used pre-existing materials. So that's the first word. The second word is made, and it is Almost synonymous with the word created, but not exactly. Uh, it has to do with accomplishment, uh, to, to do or to make, as, as it's, it's translated in most cases. Uh, it has just a little bit of a different take on it. Here's the way I would describe the words that I have in front of you uh, right now. If you were to take your salvation, we could talk about all the words that deal with salvation. We could talk about converted. We could talk about repent. We could talk about born again. We could talk about faith. We could talk about a lot of different things. But when you put them all together, it's like looking at a brilliant diamond and seeing all the facets of it. And when you see the whole thing, you see the fire and you see the beauty of it. I believe this is the same thing with the words in front of us at this moment. Not God did such a fabulous thing that it took numerous words and numerous facets for us to catch the full impact of what God did. And so he uses these words. And so the word made, and as I already mentioned, the word made is used in place of created, where one place you'll say, it'll say, he created this, and the next place you'll say, God made it. So it's almost synonymous. For example, one of the most classic passages dealing with Creation that's not found actually in the book of Genesis is Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, where there it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, we know from the very beginning he used the word created. But in Exodus, the same author, Moses, uses the word made. And again, it emphasizes a little different aspect of that. But continuing on, for example, when we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, it says there, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth and to govern the day and the night. He's referring to the moon and the sun. Now, it's not so much that It's talking about that because he did create them. Other places make it clear he made them, he created them. But in this case, the word placed has to do with he put them in their assigned position. A lot of times, and by the way, God is quite capable of doing, and there it is. Speak the word and there it is. But there's also God's creative process. And I believe this emphasizes that. He created the sun and the moon, and then he took them and said, just like my wife, I don't know how many hours she spent on this Christmas tree. But you know what? If I moved this bulb and she came in here tonight, she would know I moved it. Because it was right on that branch, right where she wanted. And anybody that knows my wife knows exactly what I'm talking about. Ask my kids. Move something in the house when they were younger. Mom would see it. Fact is, her husband still gets that. 
But you know what? God created it, and he says, I'm going to place this exactly. Let's face it. If the sun isn't exactly where it needs to be, you're going to burn up or freeze. Just the way it is. He placed it. He assigned it its position. I need to move on. Then he uses the word bring forth. Not exactly the word created, but it's very interesting. And I'm not even sure how to fully appropriate this. And I will be very honest with you. When I don't understand something here, because there's a lot of things here that I don't fully understand. So I'm going to be real honest with you. This whole thing of bring forth. Used, uh, used uh, for example, in Genesis 1.12, it says, The earth brought forth vegetation. Okay, the earth brought forth vegetation. In verse 24, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures. So it almost sounds like he created the earth, and then somehow or the other, out of that earth that he created, these things sprang out. Could have God done that? The answer is yes, because I know how he created Adam. It says he took the dust and formed it. Okay? So he could have done it that way. I don't know. It's a part of that process. But I think we, uh, what I'm trying to get across here is you need to have a broad perspective of what God is saying here. And not just get stuck in, well, God had to do it exactly the way I'm thinking. God had a process. How he brought forth, it doesn't tell us that. Not in this case. With man it does, but not in this case. And then, the one that I've just referred to, uh, and it is found very specifically in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Here it uses the word formed. It means the same thing. And by the way, it's translated many times in the Old Testament as a potter with a lump of clay. Now, I have never done anything like that, but maybe some of you have, where you took a lump of clay and you made a vase or you know, something out of it. But it's forming it and you know, being able to shape it the way you want it. That's what it says. And God formed man from the dust of the earth. He uses that word there. And then the... Second last one, he spoke it into this in into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, for example, it says, Then God said, Let. And you see that several times. In the New Testament, for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared or completed by the word of God. So that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, this is not the normal word that we say the word became flesh or in the, the, uh, John chapter 1. This is rhema, the spoken word. It's simply this. God spoke the word and those things that were not now were. But that's not the only place. For example, in Psalm 33 verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. When you look at it, God simply spoke it and it was. But did he also use a process? Did he form things? Did he shape things? Did he assign things? Place them? The answer is yes, he did. It is a process. By the way, it took six days too. That's a process. All along, God 
could have, he could have done it another way. He could have just said, God said, let everything there and, and not used any other words. And then I'd have to stand up here and say, God spoke it. And there it was. Poof. You know, but that's not what he says. He gives us a different picture. And then the last one. This one's fun. It's only used of one creature. The last crowning event of creation. Ladies, you can get a big head on this one. But he fashioned you. And believe me, he did a good job. And by the way, you've been interested in fashion ever since. (sighs) Yeah, you know what? I know God made everything perfect, but I tell you what. Guys, if nobody, if you don't agree with me, stand up and leave. Because you're just not thinking straight. But didn't he do the best work at the end? (laughs) Joe amended. If Joe amends it, that, that settles it for me. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, it's the only part of creation where God says he fashioned it. And that was a woman. It literally is the word that means to build the city. Or Noah built the ark. He constructed it. He took Adam's rib and constructed, built, fashioned into a woman. And by the way, your Bible doesn't have this, but my version does. And the verse after that, by the way, it's in parentheses in there. It says, and Adam said... Wow. (laughs) You know? Okay, I am so glad that he gave that to you ladies. But that's another word. And it's just God says, you know what? I took something pre-existing. In this case, something pre-existing and living and fashioned it into something of beauty and value. Some of these words are used together, and I'm running out of time. Some of these words are used together, so you, you cannot separate them and say, you know, like, for example, created, made, and formed are all used in the same verse in Isaiah chapter 45. So it's not like I'm making, being picky here. It's simply God reveals to us what he has done. And then it says, in the beginning, he created the heavens, plural, And I'm just going to do this real quick because we'll get back to it in another sermon. But there are at least three concepts of heaven listed in the Bible. The first one is found in Genesis 1, also in the New Testament. It is the place where the birds fly. There's air to breathe. We would call it our atmosphere, if you will. The birds of the air is actually the birds of heaven in Matthew. Uh, In Genesis chapter 1, it says the exact same things, that uh, these flying creatures were in the heaven. The second heaven is a a different place where it's the heavens declare the glory of God. And he's referring to the sun and the moon and those types of things. It's where the planets are. We call it outer space or the, the, yeah, we call it outer space, space. And then the third heaven, the apostle Paul gave me the permission to say first, second, and third, because he said, I know a man that was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw things that nobody was allowed to report on at that point. They're just too spectacular. But it was the place, the dwelling place, and we know this, it's called the highest heavens, highest heaven, other places. It's also called the throne of God. And uh, it is found. We'll get back to that when we talk about that later. And then it says, and the earth. And I just wanted to go back to one verse that we started. The earth is exactly what you think of it as. This planet we live on. And it says, through whom also he made the world. Wow. From nothing. Using a process. 
God, the self-existing one, supernaturally, it's a miracle. The Bible starts with a miracle. Brought these things into existence. Science can't explain it away. Science can't explain it. But science says, hold it. Something out of the ordinary happened. It couldn't have simply been a natural phenomenon. Because everything we know about science says, um, and we don't know everything about science, by the way, but everything we know about science today says it had to come from something. The Bible says it came from nothing. That makes a whole lot more sense to me than any other explanation I've ever heard. Let's all stand together as we close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you brought us back today to the beginning of this universe that we know. Lord, it is bond.